Welcome to the Agora Network Ministries podcast, Hope for the Agora, a conversation about mental health and the church. Listen in as our host, Evan Roars Dodge, shares practical, educational, and insightful information about the mental health conversation and the stigma inside the walls of the church. Our hope is that through informative interviews with leading mental health professionals and people in the field, and through the stories of healing and transformation, you will find that hope and healing can be found in body, soul, and spirit. To learn more, go to agoranetworkministries.com and follow us on social media. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to Hope for the Agora. I'm your host, Dr. Evan Roars Dodge. And I'm so grateful that you have joined us for another conversation about mental wellness and the church. Today, I am excited to be joined by a friend and colleague of mine, Dr. Pete Bellini. Pete, welcome. Thank you. Uh, Good to be here, Evan, and uh, excited to uh, be on this podcast and see what kind of conversation God would lead us into. Amen. Uh, so, Pete, um, would you let the uh, Agora Ministries uh, audience know a bit about yourself, a bit about your ministry, your family, um, your personal professional life? Um, and uh, yeah, just share a little bit about us, about, about you with us. Okay. Uh, as you as you said, my name is uh, uh, Peter Bellini. People usually call me Pete or close friends call me Petey. Uh, I'm currently uh, an associate professor in uh, evangelization and church renewal at United Theological Seminary, which is a United Methodist affiliated seminary in Dayton, Ohio, in Southwest Ohio. And um, I've lived here for quite some time, probably more than uh, I've lived anywhere else at this juncture. I'm I'm from uh, Cleveland, Ohio, an inner city uh, community called Little Italy, an Italian section of, uh, of Cleveland. And, uh, but I've lived here for, I don't know, it's going to maybe 20 some years now or somewhere around there off and on, at least I'm married. Uh, my wife's name is Mariucha. She's from Sicily, uh, same place. My family's from, uh, same village. My wife, uh, my mother's family is from, and, uh, we've been married for, oh, I goodness, I think 28 years. And we have two adult children and we have a granddaughter. So, uh, we were typical Sicilians, family first. So we love our family. Um, let's see what else you said. Uh, professional. Also, I am um, a ordained elder in the United Methodist Church in the West Ohio Conference of that denomination. And uh, I've been in ministry for, oh, I think close to 35 years now and started off as a campus minister at the Ohio State University and uh did a lot of uh, prison ministry, campus ministry, uh, itinerant evangelism, and uh, I'm still I still do that on the side. I'm a revivalist, so I, I do a lot of uh, side gigs. Not as many as I used to, um, just because I just do not have the time. But I still do seminars, conferences uh, around revival, evangelism, healing, prayer. Uh, a lot of work around the person, work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, in fact, I, I started at our seminary, the Holy Spirit Seminar, which is an annual, uh, it's the biggest event our, our seminary has. It's an annual event around the person and work of the Holy Spirit, which is kind of primarily what I do in, inside ministries in terms of going out and speaking or, or ministering or counseling with pastors is centered around a lot around the, the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And in relation to our dialogue here, um, sanctification and, and healing, therapia, and then thus uh, a lot with um, mental health, mental health. As I, I was a former inner city pastor, and um, uh, a lot of people were uh, uninsured at that time. This is prior to Obamacare, and so a lot of people under uh, treated, underdiagnosed, and so dealt a lot with, and, and people in addiction or recovering from addiction. So I did a lot in mental health, still do. Of course, I've written, uh, written about it extensively and minister in it uh, uh, still uh, extensively. But um, let's see, what else uh, ministry-wise? Oh, um, I've 
uh, also served in, in mission, probably done almost everything in the life of the church. I've planted churches, restarted churches, obviously pastored uh, churches and did a lot in missions. Um, my degree, my PhD is in intercultural studies, uh, which overlaps in missiology. And so I've uh, taught, preached and ministered um, uh, all over the world, uh, Africa, uh, East Asia, Southeast Asia, Europe, Latin America, um, yeah, pretty pretty much uh, <laughs> foot all, all over the the the, the globe uh, in missions. Yeah. Um, let's see what else you said. Personal life. Well, I don't know how personal you want me to get. I mean, you know, <laughs> well, for for, for to, from a mental health perspective, it's important to live a balanced life. And so, uh, yeah. uh, I've always been in sports and been athletic. And so, I I box. I'm a heavyweight boxer. I just do it as recreationally. I don't do it competitively. I've been boxing off and on since I was six years old as a kid. But uh, heavyweight boxing and I power lift um yeah and a whole lot of other stuff so that gives you at least a little bit about who i am i don't know if i yeah. missed anything that you may want to ask me or and and about my um uh, personal life and ministry life i don't pastor anymore i'm I, i've been full-time uh full-time professor for i think going on 11 years now mm -hmm. and uh but i still minister in uh, the local church and especially to pastors a lot of my students are pastors so I, I minister to them and I've written four books and working on my fifth, which will come out in fall and do the, the same sort of thing that every academic does, you know, publish in journals and go to conferences, present papers and all of that. Right. So I think that that captures basically. Yeah, that's great, Pete. Thank you uh, for sharing that. And um, so you've talked a bit about mental illness, mental wellness um, there, and a, 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 as it has uh, been part of your ministry over the years in, in different facets, and as you have uh, had the role of professor, pastor, evangelist, you've encountered that. Um, and I know we're going to talk a bit about some of your published work. You have three books, um, numerous articles, I know. Um, Petey, what has, uh, I guess, what's been the impetus behind um, you know, your desire to really minister to people um, who are dealing with mental illness, who are, you know, seeking mental wellness, um, you know, share with us a little bit about um, how you've stepped into that role and what that ministry has been like. Right. Um, I would say the how I came across um, or, or what led me into researching and engaging and helping to minister with and treat this sort of thing um mental health issues uh probably twofold one is inside my own home and one would be in ministry um back when uh, in the 90s when some of the uh mental health issues around uh add and adhd and other uh, similar uh uh, mental disorders, and even depression, anxiety, which of course, you know, we, we have known about that for quite some time, but always very stigmas around that. But the, the, the ADHD, ADD, when those were, those were still kind of uh, fairly new and uh, were not readily acceptable by society as these were actually, you know, mental health issues, even though diagnoses were coming out and being made. And so I, started to see early on that my son had difficulties focusing, concentrating, learning issues, behavior issues, these sort of things. And so I tracked him and uh, was interacting with school, uh, you know, school counselors and teachers, that sort of thing. And, and pressed, I pressed his pediatrician <clears throat> to test him because he didn't think he had. And I says, I, I says, I, I know he does. You need to start mm -hmm. to do, run some tests here uh, or I'll go find someone else. So I took a proactive role in that and pushed his pediatrician pediatrician to do that, and eventually making they making diagnoses, medications, etc., and regularly worked alongside his teachers and counselors to make sure he got an IEP and got all the provisions necessary um, for him to uh, be able to achieve and succeed. And he did, and he has, and uh, very proud of him. So. You know, uh, my son and others in, in the family and extended family that had mental health issues that I found myself having to pray for, work with, that sort of thing. But with my son, I was getting self-educated in a lot of these areas. Plus, of course, in 
uh, when I did my master's work, you know, I took the standard, you know, uh, pastoral care and counseling courses mm -hmm. and more. And um, uh, let's see what else. And then, of course, also uh, ministering in the inner city, as I said, uh, people that were um, uh, uninsured and thus were underdiagnosed and undertreated, uh, often a lot of them with addiction, depression, anxiety, uh, these sorts of things, and amongst church folk in the inner city, even people that came in from the suburbs to our inner city churches members, lest we think this is something just relegated to a particular uh, class, which it is not, it knows no prejudice, um, mental disorder. The big thing was with Christians, with Christians, this was the issue, is they found that, I found that Christians faced a stigma or wrong thinking concerning mental health and especially treatment. And it goes something like this, because I'm a Christian, I believe in God, I read the Bible, I go to church and I pray, I will not or should not be depressed. And if I am depressed, so that's the first long premise. And if I am depressed, it's because I've sinned, next premise, mm -hmm. and then the, and if I sinned, then therapy and or counseling are not biblical for therapy, counseling or and or meds are not a biblical form of treatment that is permissible for a Christian to undergo. Uh, thus, many go under diagnosed, undertreated, and sometimes it's fatal. They see, you know, suicides occur. So this was huge and dealing uh, with with this sort of thing. Um, you know, so you find, OK, people are uninsured, they're underdiagnosed, they're undertreated, you find Christians with all these stigmas, then you find in the church and even in Christian theology and practice, uh, seems to at times be at odds with the world of science, specifically psychiatry, or therapy, psychiatric meds, or even other types of uh, holistic approaches, uh, you know, to health that may involve, you know, diaphragmatic, intentional deep breathing or exercise or these sort of things, uh, we kind of get a little bit uh, um, docetic, if you will, meaning we put an emphasis on spiritual things and we neglect the physical uh, sort of thing. And then finally, the, the, the fourth one of the fourth piece that you find that I found that needed attention was, you know, for, for those who did receive some sort of treatment, this is on the other end, so you get some Christians that do receive treatment, they, uh, you find that when they go to a counselor, therapist, or psychiatrist, they, those professionals, those healthcare professionals often neglect the spiritual dimensions of the problem and the solution. So I look for more of an integrated approach, which is surely when needed, you know, meds when needed, therapy when needed, those work best when they're coupled. Of course, therapy usually, if you're doing one or the other, therapy usually has a higher rate of success than just meds alone, but they work best together. But holistic approaches that involve, you know, diet, exercise, I'm a big believer in uh, intentional deep breathing, these sorts of things. But then above all, prayer, the resources that come from the Holy Spirit that the church offers uh, need to be integrated in that. Thus, all of that um, background and what led me into this uh, is what uh, the byproduct of all that was my first book, Truth Therapy, which um, came out in just study form, outline form, pamphlet form. It kind of evolved in several iterations as I saw the need within the local church and eventually uh, a, a book, um, which is kind of like, it's kind of a workbook. Um, and uh, Truth mm -hmm. Therapy basically combines kind of what I would call a charismatic theology of renewal, the whole idea that the Holy Spirit renews us and in, in, in all of our, our person. And uh, he's, the Holy Spirit's a healer, and he heals us spirit, spirit mind, body, relationally, etc. So a very accelerated view of, of, of healing, a charismatic mm -hmm. theology of renewal, with embedded principles of CBT, cognitive behavioral uh, theory. Um, and I, you know, I'm not a licensed therapist, so I don't, I never say what I do is I'm a, I, I refer, though I've done extensive sure. research, research, and probably, you know, been in this as long and, and immersed in it as much as anyone. But uh, so I don't do cognitive behavioral therapy. I'm not a therapist, but I draw from cognitive behavioral theory and it's embedded in the truth therapy work. And then finally, the third components, so you have the charismatic theology of renewal embedded CBT. And the third would be a, a Christian contemplative uh, practices like, uh, you know, meditation, reflection, repentance, these sort of things. And the whole goal of truth therapy is uh, to work on 
belief and identity formation, picking up on the whole idea in scripture, we're transformed by the renewing of our mind with the word of God. So this whole belief and identity formation within the process of discipleship that uses reflective catechesis, you know, scriptural affirmations, meditations on the names and attributes of God, et cetera. So, and I found yeah. we found it to be very successful in the church and out of the church and, um, you know, everywhere where I do seminars on it or, you know, in, in class or whatnot, it seems to, uh, I really get a lot of good response from it. Yeah. Petey, can you say a bit more about truth therapy? Um, and, and, uh, maybe unpack a bit more the components of, of that paradigm that you've constructed, um, and how a, a, a Christian might take that paradigm and apply it toward a journey toward mental wellness. Well, as I, yeah, sure. As I said, I gave, kind of gave you the origin of it and, and the context of it and the basic theology. The basic components are a charismatic mm -hmm. theology of renewal, embedded CBT, contemplative practices. Right. So that's basically applied throughout the whole book in three areas. And again, it's catechetical. So the, the first piece of it deals with uh, doctrines, again, belief, belief and identity formation, it deals with basic teaching of the Christian faith. And it gives various methodologies on how to process it that that uh, involve the whole person. So there's a mm -hmm. cognitive dimension, there's an affective dimension, there's a cognitive dimension of, of uh, you know, applying it in, in your life. So it goes through basic doctrines of the faith and it helps you to process them um, in, in, in your life. And the whole idea there is you renew, uh, re renewing our, we, we are renewed when our minds are renewed. Uh, so that's also, it's a scriptural yes. principle, obviously Romans 12, one and two, but it's also what's behind CBT as well. Mm -hmm. uh, thinking affects our emotions, which affects our will uh, and our actions, that sort of thing. So um, it's really honing in a lot on the cognitive piece first, but then it, it processes it through the affect of the emotional domain and then how we carry this out in our, in our behavior. So, you know, thus yeah. the cognitive behavioral uh, components um, that are, you know, what CBT is. CBT started out from, if, if people aren't familiar with it, um, cognitive behavioral therapy started out from uh, psychoanalysts in the 40s and 50s that were finding that a lot of the, um, the their psychoanalytical uh, interviews and whatnot and, and, and therapy sessions weren't as effective. They weren't dealing with immediate symptomology and immediate uh, um, coping skills and practices in, in looking and dealing with, you know, uh, the subconscious and family of origin stuff, but not being able to, the, the, the therapist not seeing effective immediate results in uh, clients everyday behavior. Mm -hmm. So uh, uh, separately, uh, um, Aaron Beck and Albert Ellis, uh, separately created their versions of what's today modern day cognitive behavioral therapy, but started with cognitive therapy, recognizing um, the, the connection there in uh, the, the cognitive structures and patterns, the way people think were contributing to their depression, uh, the, the sense of helplessness, hopelessness, worthlessness, and um, an overall depressive kind of triad in terms of how one sees you know, themselves, the world, and the future, and in, and beginning to change, um, uh, being able to, to track and change cognitive restructuring, immediate cognitions, immediate thoughts that elicit you know feelings such as anxiety and panic, transforming them can begin to transform how one feels, one behaves, and start to give immediate uh, uh, remedy and help in their in their everyday coping. So I know that's not about getting into CBT, but just for those who may not know, so, sure. you know a yeah, little bit helpful. of that. So it's cognitive, it's cognitive restructuring. You learn how to reframe your thinking by picking up cognitive, by, by able to uh, ascertain cognitive errors. You learn empirically how to test your thoughts for their objectivity, their reality base, and that sort of thing. And you make uh, uh, critical adjustments to your thinking that's more realistically based to help cope. And, and in turn, it, it deflates a lot of uh, negative emotions and uh, enables one, you know, to better to better live live their life. So you got that kind of stuff going on, uh, embedded in truth therapy with, uh, uh, you know, processing the doctrines, 
it goes extensively into the names of God, looking at the attributes of, that are associated with God's name, names, and uh, has us having a covenant with God. Thus, those attributes are given to us so that we can partake of them and share in them. Like mm-hmm. uh, the Lord God, our peace, Adonai Shalom. God is peace, and God is our peace. And in His name, you know, means that means peace. God gives us that sort of peace, and so uh, it has little sections to meditate and apply the names of God. Again, going through the cognitive, affective, and cognitive domains of the human person to um, process those and to walk the, walk that sort of thing out. Yeah. So it does that extensively with the names of God. And then the third piece, so you got the catechetical doctrines, you got the names of God. And the third piece is um, scriptural affirmations and other Christian affirmations. And that's simply something right out of Christ, uh, cognitive behavioral theory. And that is affirmation. You're, you're, you're uh, reinforcing cognitively these uh, positive statements, if you will. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't like to use the word positive a lot because it's it, positive and negative are not biblical terms, though I, I surely understand what they mean. And they're, uh, uh, it's common language in psychology. Uh, and there's probably some what biblical, you know, cognates. Um, I like to think instead of thinking of things being positive, but more maybe uh, hopeful. Uh, hope is a, a theological virtue. So uh, scriptural affirmations that build hope in individuals. So if one were to, you know, get the truth therapy book, which is good for individuals or small groups and go through it, um, it's going to equip you, man. It will equip you with the tools you need uh, to cope. It's not just a book for dealing with mental health. It's a discipleship book. It just deals with how we think. Changing our thinking can change who we are and how we live. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a component of discipleship, but it will equip you with strategies, um, with skills to identify a lot of the thinking that is problematic and which is uh, contributes to depression and anxiety and a whole lot of other mm-hmm. disorders yeah. because cognitive behavioral therapy right now, and it's combined with other components and it's always being tested and modified. But right now, it's probably the most utilized, uh, you know, evidence-based strategy uh, mm-hmm. in, in in therapy for you know whatever weight loss, yeah. uh, um, t- trauma, addiction. It, it's used in so many different uh, ways. So truth therapy will really um, it will help equip. The thing with the CBT, which is good in truth therapy, is it's autodidactic. You know, they give you the tools. My truth therapy gives you the tools. CBT gives you the tools so that you can kind of teach yourself. Mm-hmm. You yes. teach yourself. No one knows you, you better than you. That's what's so good about it um, is it helps y- you to help you. And it gives you the tools to do that because you understand you better than anyone. Yeah. And one of the problems with therapy, and I'm, I'm surely pro-therapy, is therapy, uh, the counseling profession, coming out of psychology it's a social science and uh, the sciences um gather their data and information based on uh, observation so in terms of psychology observable behavior problem with therapy you go into a therapy session the psychologist or the therapist does not see or observe your behavior so you can go in for any reason you can go in I mean, you could be causing all kind of havoc in your family and your church, and you could go and, and have a lot of negative symptoms or, de- or depressive symptoms, and um, you just want to go into the to therapy to relieve some of your symptoms, but you don't want to go through change or transformation. That's the Christian part yeah, of therapy, right. repentance, and go through the transformation. You just want to feel better, feel happy, kind of this commercial, commodified, eudaimonia kind of happiness that we're all guaranteed because we live in this culture to pursue, you know, life, liberty, to pursue the happiness. And so we just want to just almost on the verge of a kind of a hedonism and not really have to have to change. So we can go into see a therapist like any Hollywood star, uh, just as another commodity in our life for all of the wrong reasons. And a psychologist may not know that your behavior at home is maybe destructive, destructive towards other people and destructive towards yourself, but you may not be fully honest. You may not be Mm -hmm. fully candid, uh, but they can't observe the behavior, that sort of thing. Uh, If we give you tools to observe your own behavior, no one will see and know your behavior better than you. If we give you the tools that will help you to see and to turn on the light and to identify uh, these yeah. sort of things. So that's what makes it effective. Yeah. 
Never in our lifetime have we lived through a global pandemic. Depression, anxiety, fear, suicide are at an all-time high. Medical facilities are overwhelmed. Seniors are dying. Lockdowns and churches trying to do their best to minister to those in need. Join Agora Network Ministries May 1st for a one-day live stream experience learning from experts Kay Warren, Dr. Grant Mullen, Brett Ullman, and Amy Simpson on specific ways to persevere and find hope. Go to perseveranceconference.ca and register today. If we give you tools to observe your own behavior, no one will see and know your behavior better than you. If we give you the tools that will help you to see and to turn on the light and to identify uh, these yeah. sort of things. So that's what makes it effective. Yeah. Well, Pete, that's, that's so good. And, and what I so appreciate about um, truth therapy, and I think that, that, that there's biblical truth, even in CBT, yeah. uh, which we, we see all through the Bible, is right. that what goes on in the interior life and how that is formed and shaped comes out in the exterior life. You know, our, our thought life, what we internalize, what we're taking in, what we're meditating on comes out in behaviors. I mean, Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the right. mouth speaks, right? right. Um, right. And so I so appreciate that focus um, in the journey toward mental wellness that we, it's absolutely imperative that we examine what's going on in our minds. What are we taking in? What are our thought patterns that, you know, what are the things that are shaping and forming us in that way? Um, because some intentional work on that um, can really transform us. Ab absolutely. I mean, we see this, yes, we see these principles clearly in scripture. Well, obviously, because God created us, created the human person, he created our mind yes. and the various connections that are between our mind, our emotions, our behaviors, these sort of things, which social science unpacks more and more and neuroscience unpacks and these sort of things and cognitive sciences unpack. God created um, the, us, uh, created the human being, created the human person. It's un You see some of this again in the Old and New Testament. You see it in uh, early monasticism that they're they're almost like operating out of like primitive forms of CBT in terms of uh, looking uh, introspectively and reflecting um, uh, under the uh, guidance of the Holy Spirit. So like David said, search me, try me, examine my ways, my intentions, and see if they're uh, if they're right, if they're of you, and or if they're if they're if they're not. Um, and then the engaging in, in repentance. So the the inward uh, reflection that's needed for this kind of self examination to see whether we're in the faith uh, that leads to repentance, the self examination needed for. Uh, repentance and this sort of thing uh, we find throughout scripture we see it in the monastic tradition early on we see it in all the great uh, works of the spiritual masters whether it's in uh, catholic quietism and mysticism whether it's the great puritan writers and thinkers like john owen um, or in the holiness thinkers and writers, you know, beginning with, with, with john wesley and onward um, all the great spiritual traditions um, when they go, when they get serious enough, get deep into the inner workings of the human soul and the co-working of the Holy Spirit, because who could really know the inside of someone except for the Spirit? Yeah, and right. so, you know, dealing with the in the inward realities that affect external expression and outward realities, and to uh, allow the Holy Spirit to co-work with the Holy Spirit in that process as the Spirit convicts us, yeah. brings forth repentance, brings forth the fruit of the Spirit, it's it's within well it's within every major religion obviously but of course as Christians we see it clearly in Scripture we see it throughout the the great tradition and reflected in all the major spiritual traditions so this mm -hmm. is this is nothing new these connections made what I just try to do here because the book um, captures a variety of uh, traditions even though I'm a Wesleyan Armenian from kind of from the holiness background uh, it, it it works with uh, the Puritan uh, spirituality it works with the, the you know mystical spirituality Catholic spirituality an imitation of Christ Thomas Akempis draws from a lot of these different traditions so mm -hmm. it's ecumenical at least in that sense but it's with an update in the sense that it's not anti-science it's wanting to integrate the best resources of uh, spiritual resources and 
uh, those that are available from, you know, the medical community and the sciences and social sciences, et cetera, et cetera. So it's very, yeah. it's holistic yeah. in that sense. When I use the word holistic, I know when Christians hear that often, especially the evangelicals, they think, you know, maybe new age, and I'm not talking that and clearly not new age, but holistic, uh, meaning the resources that God provides that are uh, in, in scripture, but that God provides in creation. God created the yeah. world, not, not the devil. <laughs> one one of the things that you have often said to me, uh, PD, and that I've so appreciated, and, and it's been a great reminder, is that all truth is God's truth. That's right. And sometimes truth and healing and goodness comes through doctors and yep. nurses, sometimes yep. through a good therapist, yep. um, you know, always through, uh, the, you know, God's revelation to us in scripture, through yep. prayer. Yes. I mean, there are a whole variety of ways um, right. that, that we really can um, take care of ourselves and uh, grow into the kind of transformed new creations um, that God desires for each of us. That's to right. So, Petey, we're going to take a, just a brief break, uh, and we'll be back in just a moment. Welcome back. I'm uh, joined by Dr. Pete Bellini, and we're talking um, a bit about uh, Pete's work and um, how best we can resource believers um, to live holistically in health, in body, mind, and soul, to be the disciples um, that Christ has called us to be. So, Peter, you've talked to us about a couple of your books, Unleashed and Truth Therapy. You have a, a book that you've just written that's uh, forthcoming uh, called The Cerulean Soul, where you take a theological approach to depression. So can you tell us a bit about the book, uh, about its content, and um, Perhaps, um, if you would, Petey, what do you hope that believers can glean from this book that you've written? Right. Thank you. Um, you had referenced uh, the three three books that I've done on, on mental health. And uh, I want to just touch, just say a statement on the second one that I didn't get to say in uh, yes, Unleashed. Unleashed. Yep. I don't want to get in depth into it because it may not apply to all of our here listening audience, but it it, I just want to just note that it, it what it does is very important for those who would be interested in reading it. And that is the often those with mental health issues are demonized. Either the people are demonized and stigmatized or the mental disorder itself is equated in some circles, Pentecostal charismatic circles, often uh, as demonic, as demonic or as demonically induced. That book deals specifically with making a distinction between that sort of, you know, what, what is demonic, but then what is mental health and, and makes a separation between the two, thus saying that uh, mental health disorders are not demons, A, and obviously then thus uh, persons struggling with them are not to be dig, uh, 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 stigmatized as a demonic yes. or, 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 and that sort of thing. So the dealing with the, the humanity of people, but it makes a distinction between the two and it offers the first that I've ever seen, uh, C113, it's a, it's a, it's a diagnostic, diagnostic tool, um, psychological diagnostic tool and assessment to ascertain whether someone um, is struggling with something that may be of, um, demonic or is it just, is it, or is it mental health? Because there is a distinction. So just to say mm -hmm. that. Yes. Uh, moving into the cerulean soul. First, let me note that uh, for the audience, it, this book is not a book for it's not a popular read book in, uh, in any stretch. It's probably not even going to be ultimately for um, your typical pastor who may just have an, a master of divinity degree. They may depends on, I guess, their acumen in, in terms of what they're used to reading. It's an academic book. It's meant for an academic audience and it's published by an academic press. So it's, it's, it's uh, scholarly and it's, it's written intentionally uh, at a high scholarly level, engaging uh, multiple fields. It's an interdisciplinary book, which is what most of what I do is in. And um, of course, when you're deal dealing with mental health, uh, I think it's, it, you need the various disciplines to come yeah. together to, uh, uh, to best understand and to best treat uh, mental health issues. So this book is interdisciplinary. It delves a lot into um, uh, philosophy of disease. Because uh, basically what I'm trying to do is uh, set up uh, the conversation for the need for a theological approach to uh, a subject that is often 
um, predominated by the, the medical uh, by a bio psychosocial model, which is predominantly from the uh, a medical model, medicinal model in treating uh, depression. And often we also have sociocultural models, but there's a lot of various models, uh, but often the scientific community squeezes out the theological. So I look at um, some of the definitions because depression is difficult to define. It's, it can be commonly described as a chemical imbalance or you know, subjective experience of despondency or even you know, philosophically, because uh, that's what the book deals with, a semiotic construct, you know, the signs that we understand reality and even depression through the signs that we, we, we create that mediate reality. So you know, there's various theories of depression that come out of this, like I said, biochemical, psychological, cultural, um, and they all reflect one philosophical anthropology, what I see, and that is how you understand what it means to be human is often how you're going to understand how what depression is and how it's experienced. Simply this, you know, if we are basically matter material, um, you're going to have a biological, a biochemical um, kind of approach to uh, what depression is, ultimately seeing it as something um, within that there's some sort of neuroscientific chemical substrate to the experience of depression. And so we look at, and I, I study extensively in the neuroscience of depression. Mm -hmm. So that you're looking at, you know, what in, what in the amygdala and the hippocampus and the neo prefrontal cortex, the interaction between these three, what's the physiology that's involved in terms of depression? And usually these are correlational. We really don't know the cause. But if someone sees, if the person's approach to philosophical anthropologies were basically physical, then we're going to see depression as basically physical. That's basically right. what I'm saying. So right. if we, and if we see uh, us as basically social cultural beings, this kind of, you know, what's popular now, the social construct, cultural construct of reality and who we are, then you're going to see depression also as a socio-cultural, uh, meaning that culture has, and society and culture have the main impact and construct on what depression is. So you have the, you know, the gender approach to depression, the, uh, you know, a, a racial or an ethnic or a sexual uh, approach to uh, depression, these sort of things. So then mm -hmm. if, our, philosoph our philosophical anthropology is sociocultural, uh, uh, we see depression as such, so et cetera, sure. et cetera. So sure. that's kind of what I tackle and go through. So how one defines the human person is telling on how one defines mental disorder. So philosophy and the sciences tend to offer a reductive explanation of what it means to be human and such, then the approaches uh, rarely uh, consider that we may be spiritual beings and then fail to en entertain a theological approach. So that's what I do. I show the lack there and then I introduce uh, the, the, the spiritual um, and, and use traditional historic Christian orthodoxy centered around uh, the word becoming flesh and the Chalcedonian definition of who God in uh, flesh is in terms of Christ being fully divine and fully human. And it, at what level does God suffer? Does, does, you know, does God suffer? What level does God suffer? How mm -hmm. does God's suffering relate to and identify with and, and is a healing resource then for uh, us as Christians and, and this sort of thing. And so in tackling all of this philosophical anthropology, I offer theological anthropology, which stems out of the fact uh, that we're made in the image of God, kind of use that as a basis and a place to start the Imago Day, and that God's purpose in becoming flesh is uh, God became human so that humans can be made transformed into the image of God, uh, more into the image of God in Christ, theosis. Yes, which is a healing, uh, a therapeia mm -hmm. of the imago uh, for all persons, including those with mental health issues. So I make no distinction between the need for all to have salvation and the salvation process for those with mental health issues. I make no distinction. There's not a separate class. So the typology that I create within this book subsumes kind of where all people are at when we fall short of the glory of God, not saying that mental health is is. Uh, univocally or necessarily connected to sin. It's, it's ambiguous. But I'm just saying is, is we're all broken. We're all fall short. We all are fragmented and disfigured and need to be transfigured. And 
so what I offer is simply the, the, the gospel and all of this, the mission of Christ and the mission of the Holy Spirit to bring, to advocate on our behalf, to mediate sal soteria, salvation, which involves healing and, and what that healing looks like and, you know, make some critical, critical distinctions between healing and curing and that sort of thing. Uh, but the telos for all of us, including those with mental health issues, is to be transformed in the image of God in Christ and made like him in, in, in wholeness and holiness, Christ-likeness. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, that's basically, you know, you know what we're great. doing here. Take, takes yeah. the missio day of union with the right. risen Christ as its goal, and it, it opens up the perennial problem of, you know, human despondency, uh, but takes us on this eschatological trajectory of hope, peace, redemption, and transformation that comes in Christ through the healing and sanctifying work of the, of, of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Thank you, Petey. And I, I would invite our listeners, if you'd like to um, read a bit more about this, go to firebrandmag.com. And Dr. Bellini just had an article um, published on that website, maybe what, two or three weeks ago, Petey, yeah, I think? Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, sometime uh, uh, the beginning of, of March. Um, right. And the you book really... will be out in fall. The book will be out in fall from Baylor okay. University Press. Okay, great. Um, in that article on uh, firebrandmag.com, you really uh, lay out a lot of what you've just explained, and you start to get us thinking theologically uh, about depression. So I, I really appreciate that. I think that's a great for uh, a great uh, entry point into uh, into the work that you've done. So I'd encourage our listeners to check that out. Uh, if they'd like to. And at the end of the show, uh, we'll also say a bit more about uh, where if anybody would like to get your books where they can do that. Um, Petey, as we wrap up this conversation, um, you know, we are still in the middle of this global pandemic, um, at least here in, in the States. Um, and uh, I think to some degree in other parts of the world, um, there's been uh, this fracturous political time uh, you know, that, we've, that we've been in and those ripple effects are still being felt even now. Um, there's the, the, the specter of, of uh, race, racism, race relations all around us. Um, so this is, a, this is a time there because of those things and more, we're seeing increased rates of depression, anxiety, yep. suicide, right. suicidal ideation, um, unhealthy behaviors, rises in domestic violence and addiction. Mm -hmm. So, Petey, this is a challenging time uh, right. to not only be alive, but also to be a believer in Christ um, and to try to maintain our focus on him. What would you offer um, uh, the believer and then the church, you know, the, the body of Christ? Um, what are some best practices right now that we might... Uh, aim toward mental wellness uh, and walking in such a way that is um, healthiest for us and pleasing to God. Right. Well, I'm glad you asked that instead of when you were talking about all the maladies in society this year, <laughs> you weren't asking me for a solution or answer to all of that. Because <laughs> I, I do not know besides yeah. telling them Je Jesus Christ, those are the only two words I can give. Uh, I can't fix any of that. Um, yeah, we're surely in a situation and it does exacerbate and put pressure on those who already have uh, mental health issues or predispositions. Um, and a lot of that is uh, on especially our young people as well. Right. Um, you know, I feel that one of the good things about uh, the pandemic and the lockdowns, which are starting to, we're starting to come out of them and it's going to increase, especially with the, the vaccine, the rate of the vaccination, the person's being vaccinated. Um, I think one of the good things about the pandemic was it allowed for us to kind of uh, reconnect within our own homes with ourselves as individuals and with our families. So to get back to the basic, you know, uh, the basic uh, unit of uh, human life, you know, uh, socially, ourself, our relation with our with God, ourself, and our family to start. Um, so th it, this was good in that it 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 was it could foster that. Now it also can exacerbate problems that are already in the house. Then so, yes. in other words, it could be an incubator for for good things to happen, but also could be a prison cell for those who cannot get out, but at least on the first on the positive end, it's a great opportunity has been for people 
to uh, take time, more time to be with God, which is key. Self-care, I believe, is key to all other concentric circles of life and influence and care and interaction at other levels relationally. So you got to take care of yourself or you're not good for anyone else. And so uh, it, it allowed for time to be alone with God, to pray, to hear from God. It allowed for us to have to see our family much more. So we're not on the run. We're not on the road. We're home. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it enables us to be able to see family, work work with family, eat together, all of uh, the wonderful life that, that happens in a, a healthy, fu- functioning home. So I think that's been good. It's a good opportunity for self-care. Um, again, for those that are in a, a situations where their, their, their family system is dysfunctional, it could be very, um, it could exacerbate the issues and be very harmful. And so that's why in the church, um, education is, is so important. Uh, we, we, we need to have mental health education in our, 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 our churches, training and instructing our leaders and our pastors because the research shows that our pastors the lifeway research that was done by lifeway institute lifeway research our pastors for the most part are not equipped to be able to uh, be aware of to engage to handle to refer mental health issues so uh, we need that kind of equipping and educating at that first front level uh, so that leadership, pastoral leadership can recognize and care for those that are in need and provide them the further education resources, um, referrals and and whatnot that can help and assist those that are in their congregation that may be in those homes where they feel trapped and to be able to recognize some of the the clues and whatnot, that there could be issues and problems there that without training, they may not be able to identify and, and recognize, and then to provide the steps the, and, the, and the resources to take, to lead out, out of that those dark places and into places of light healing and restoration. Uh, you, you need to have those kind of links in the chain and to, um, mapped out and, and um, even though the church can't do everything, a lot of times we ultimately just end up doing the referral sort of thing. But to be able to uh, take someone from point A to point Z where they need to go on that journey to uh, health and wholeness. So all that said, whether you're at home for self-care or or ministering from the church to people in their homes or through the internet or whatever, and then after this is all gone and we're back to life is in the new norm, um, we have to teach how to take care of ourselves from a holistic standpoint, which involves all of who we are as human. We can't bifurcate the physical from the spiritual and think, oh, if you teach intentional diaphragmatic deep breathing, that's new age. Uh, I didn't know that the devil invented breathing or that Buddhism invented breathing or Hinduism. (laughs) My Bible starts off with the creation of Adam that God breathed into into his nostrils and he became a high nefesh, a living soul, and basically said, hey, life begins and ends when you do this. I started this off. You keep doing it. I breathed in you. You keep breathing. When you stop, it's going to be over. So keep breathing. So Mm -hmm. breathing is of God. Uh, The wind, the pneuma, the pneuma, the ruach, that's a, a metaphor for the Holy Spirit. Jesus breathed on the disciples that received the Holy Spirit. I can go on and on. It's in my truth therapy, but I could go on and on about the importance of breathing, which other religions, unfortunately, understand. And uh, it's a, from a scientific standpoint, we know that this stuff works. It's healthy. It's whole. We need oxygen. You need oxygen in your brain, especially Christians who sometimes may lack oxygen in the brain. And thus, uh, the common sense, sense lights don't get turned on. We need to breathe right, and and we need to eat right. We need to sleep right. We need to exercise right. We need to have fun right. We need to do all those things, and we need to also incorporate those within our spiritual disciplines and not see them as so separate from our spiritual disciplines, and that is the disciplines of breathing, or uh, you know, breathing these kind of things in eating and diet and exercise and sleeping. Connect them right in with how we pray, how we read the scripture, how we serve, all this sort of stuff. So, we, we, we need to be uh, educating and implementing good, balanced uh, wellness, healthcare, wholeness, these sort of practices uh, in our own lives and in, in the church. I think there's no uh, 
substitute for that because it's all preventative. You're investing in yourself so that you can invest in, invest in God and in others. It does God and no one any good for you to burn out for Jesus. Uh, so we have to live balanced lives. And I think that's so important. We don't teach that. We don't teach that in the church. So, um, you know, there's so much that can be said. And on the back end, uh, the last thing I'll say, because it's always the, one of the most important things to say. So when we're talking about educating, we're talking about resourcing, we're talking about how to uh, give people a holistic strategy and the resources to implement self-care and then, you know, family care, church care, et cetera, et cetera. Dealing with all of these, these holistic issues, um, it's important also in, in our educational process, and you should do some, at least do some seminars to educate your church in it, and that is on suicide awareness and prevention, because yes. that's yes. kind of, that's the, the end game ultimate scenario when things go wrong, and it's always possible uh, for, it, it could be possible for anyone, but especially those with mental health concerns, uh, is the possibility of suicide. We need the education. We need the, 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 the knowledge of how to be able to identify, you know, the ideations and the plans and these sort of things to assist and to help and walk people through and to put and, and to have a lot of those 1-800 numbers available uh, on our websites or on our, in our bulletins or whatever, and not think, oh, we, this is, you know, that it's stigmatized that no, that we can't do that because that talking about suicide will drive people to suicide more or making aware of it will, 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 will actually, you know, further and enhance that probability of people committing suicide. Absolutely not. It works. It's inverse. It works the other way around. So yeah. there's so much more that can be said, but it starts with starting to take care of uh, yourself properly. Petey, that's a great word to end on. I'm so uh, grateful for you, for your ministry, and for the gifts that you are giving um, to the body of Christ, both to its individual members and to its uh, collective life together. Petey, if anybody is interested in checking your books out, or um, I don't know, kind of following you on social media, if you're there, how can they connect to you? Okay. Um, you can go to United Theological Seminary's website, www.united.edu. You can find stuff about me there. Um, you can plug into Amazon or anyone who sells books, plug my name in or put it in Google or whatever. The, the, the resources are going to come up. Um, I'm currently not on Facebook because of uh, Lent. And I, um, when Lent ends, I'll, I'll, I'll be back, but probably still limited, but I always track mm -hmm. things. So you can get a hold of me in Facebook. Uh, uh, Petey Bellini, um, just do a search and eventually I like you find everybody else, uh, or you can email me, <clears throat> which the, my email address is in the United webs, uh, website, but that's P B E L L I N I my last name at united.edu. And you can get a hold of me that way. So, you know, email, social media, United's website and books are available wherever you get you know, wherever booksellers sell. So pretty much most of the distributors uh, cover the stuff that I, that I uh, put out there. So Amazon has me, libraries have me, Barnes and Noble, uh, whoever, a lot of the online booksellers do. Great. Yeah. Well, thank you, Petey. And thank you. Uh, the uh, Agora uh, Ministries Network so appreciates you. And thank you for giving us thank some time you. today. God bless you, my friend. You too. You too as well. And everyone out there. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that you found it helpful and informative. We are always open to your comments and suggestions. You can contact us at info at agoranetworkministries.com. You can also go to our website for resources, information, and upcoming events. Just head over to agoranetworkministries.com. If you would like to support the work of Agora Network Ministries, including this podcast, you can find a link on our site. We appreciate your support. We pray that your week is blessed. Bye for now.